Would you turn your Bible, please, as a text? Jeremiah chapter 12. I would like to use Jeremiah 12:5 as a text from which to bring a message this morning entitled, What Do You Do When Your World Is Tumbling In All Around You? May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that God is able. We pray that in the Holy Spirit's moving across our hearts today, Thou wouldst use these beautiful songs to give us a desire for power, the desire to pay the price to receive that power upon us. We pray that there might be a whisper from every soul here and within the sound of our voice, it is well with my soul. Speak to hearts. If there's one person here who has never been saved, may come to Jesus. We pray in Christ's name, amen. In Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, one of the most famous texts in the Bible, we don't use it often, but we need to memorize it. If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which thou trustest they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? Jeremiah lived in an epic time in the history of Israel. God had sent preacher after preacher to warn Israel to turn from their sin, to warn Judah to turn from their sins. Already northern Israel had fallen under the Assyrian hordes in 722, and the ten northern tribes had gone into captivity. It would seem that southern Judah would have learned a lesson. She would have repented and turned back to God. But sometimes we do not learn the lessons of life that we ought to learn. And Judah didn't. She went on in her sin. She went on ignoring God, ignoring God's principles. Forgetting the word of God, be sure your sin will find you out. She just went on. And finally God sent Jeremiah as a last staunch warner. And for 40 years Jeremiah preached to the city of Jerusalem and to Judah. And just one message, repent. Sometimes Jeremiah would say, oh that my eyes were a river of water. I could run down tears day and night for the children of Israel. Sometimes Jeremiah would say, my heart's like a flint because I've been preaching to these people so long. They're hard-hearted and I'm becoming that way. Sometimes they put Jeremiah in stockades. They cast him in prison. They told him to not talk anymore like he'd been talking. 
And Jeremiah had a ministry of warning. He urged the people to get their hearts ready. First of all, to turn to God, to turn away from sin, to allow the Holy Spirit, the Lord, to move upon their lives and have his way. But if they would not do it, then to be ready for judgment. The people complained. They murmured. And in the midst of it all, God says to Jeremiah, and then Jeremiah says to the people, If thou hast run with a footman, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, in which thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? When things really get bad, when things really get tough, if the little skirmishes of life have hurt you, if you've become sidetracked and wearied and discouraged with the little things, what will you do when the world crumbles and falls in all around you? That's the background and the basis and the text for my message this morning. Corey Ten Boone wrote a book called The Hiding Place. In that book, she tells the story of the Jews during Hitler's Germany. Corey Ten Boone's father was a godly Christian. And he loved everybody. He loved righteousness. And he saw Nazi Germany under the rulership of Hitler turn into a terrible war machine. And he saw the hatred and the prejudice rising against the Jews. And it was whispered at first, rumored at first, where those Jews would disappear. They'd get on cattle cars and be taken across out of the cities and out of the country. And nobody knew for sure where but whispers and rumors came back about concentration camps and gas chambers. Little by little, the world began to hear about it. But Corrie ten Boone tells of her father hiding the Jews in her house. There was a rule that said you can't do that, but he went on doing it anyway. And he even had a concealed room in the top of his house Nobody could see it just by a mere search. He would let the Jews come in. And he would hide them there until in the late night they could get away some way. The officers found out about it. And they came and arrested Corey's father. Then they arrested Corey and her sister. They learned later that the father died soon. Corey and her sister went to a concentration camp and they were abused. They were illy treated. Ultimately, the sister died. And by God's grace, Corey was able to live through it all. But in that book, she makes a striking statement. What did we do when our earth was crumbling in all around us? when our world was falling to pieces. Ladies and gentlemen, that happens to us. There are times 
when the things that we thought were solid, the things we thought were firm, no longer so firm. We've never dreamed of having to face certain crises, and we have to face those crises. We go through certain epochs in our lives and events in our lives when it seems like everything is crumbling in and tumbling in all about us. What do we do about it? A fire in the night raging uncontrolled. It takes away everything we have. The next morning we stand there with tears. Look on our house. Our clothes gone, our furniture gone, our records gone, everything gone. What do we do? The doctor says, your little girl has leukemia and she can't get well. What do you do? A husband and wife who loved each other very much their little son taken in death suddenly. And just three weeks later, the husband killed in an awful automobile crash. And that wife stands there. What does she do? Parents take their little child sick take her to a doctor the doctor runs all kinds of tests and then he says your little child was born with a serious sickness can't live very long maybe 13 years maybe 19 years that's all what do you do family and Mother and father spend lots of time in the hospital. They're sick. They've prayed for children. A little baby comes. The mother has to spend most of her time carrying that little baby in the hospital because she's sick. Then the little baby comes. The child dies. And by God's grace, they have another child. Terrible automobile wreck. The little boy is killed. What do you do? What do you do when the world tumbles in all around you and the, everything just seems to crash in? That's what Jeremiah was saying. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which thou trustest thou they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of the Jordan? I went to a church in London. I think it's well worthwhile. A number of years ago, I got to go in that church and stand in it. This past year, we took our team there and we couldn't get inside, but it was worth just going and standing outside. One of the greatest churches that ever existed, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. When Charles Haddon Spurgeon was pastor there, hundreds and hundreds of people were saved. Many, many times he would preach to crowds of 10,000 
Sunday morning, Sunday night, week after week after week. Shortly after Mr. Spurgeon died, the church burned. It never reached its original glory. And today, they have about a hundred in Sunday school. But I want to tell you, it's worth it to go and stand on the corner of Elephant and Castle in London and look upon those columns and imagine the thousands of people through many generations that were influenced to Christ by going in that building and hearing the Word of God. And I said to the deacon, things aren't like what they used to be, are they? He said, no. But we believe God wants us to go on going on. What do you do when the world crumbles in? When things just break up all around you? Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called How Should We Then Live? And in it he points out several crises that Americans are facing. The economic breakdown, the war on the or serious threat of war, the chaos of violence, the radical redistribution of the wealth of the world, a growing shortage of food. And he says, what are we going to do when all these things take place? How then shall we live? I want to give two illustrations, and I don't mean for this to be a sermon. This is just some thoughts from my heart this morning. I'll give two illustrations of, of men in the Bible who faced just such crises. The first is the man Job. The Bible calls Job a perfect man. He eschewed evil. You can almost see him sneezing out evil, coughing it out, hating it. He eschewed evil, and he loved righteousness. And Job, the Bible says, was a perfect man. The word perfect means mature. Doesn't mean he was sinless. It means he was mature. There came a day when Satan appeared before God. And he said, the conversation in chapter 1 of Job, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Just as if God was sort of proud of Job. You ever wondered if God was proud of you? And the devil said, well, the only reason Job is serving you is because you've never let anything touch him. You've never let any problems come to him. You've never let him have any hurts. You've built a hedge around him. You've protected him. You've let him live a sheltered life. And God said, said Satan, you don't understand. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll just let you have your way with Job. I'll just let you touch him. I'll let you rack all kinds of havoc upon him and uh, let the winds blow against him. So Satan went out. And beloved, don't forget that when lots of the calamities that come into your lives and lots of the weaknesses and lots of the yielding to temptation, lots of the problems that come, they're satanic. For our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Satan touched Job's possessions. There was a storm. There were, there were enemies that came. 
His lands were confiscated. His children were killed. And then finally, Job's body was touched from bo- with boils from the tip of his head to the tip of his toes. He sat down in, in weakness, discouragement, and despair. His wife said, you old fool, you ought to curse God and commit suicide. Die. And Job said, wait a minute. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not charge God foolishly. Later on, that dear man rose to some great spiritual heights when he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And in my flesh I shall see God, and I shall wait for my change to come. And in all this, Job charged not God foolishly. Now, he had three friends, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. If Job weren't so serious and the subject weren't so serious, you couldn't help but laugh when you read the book of Job because these three, quote, friends, quote, came to him. And when they got there, they saw the despicable condition of Job. And the Bible says they sat down and for... A whole week, seven days, just sat there and didn't say a thing. Now you imagine you in your calamity. You have some friend come to see and he just sits there for seven days, just sits there and looks at you. Doesn't say a word. Well, that was bad enough. But when they started talking, Job wished they had been quiet for another seven days. Because for 30 chapters... They just lambast and lambast and lambast and lambast. They say, Job, the reason you've lost your houses, the reason you've lost your land, the reason you've lost your children, the reason of all this is you are a hypocrite. And they dug into Job's life and tried to drag out every little old thing that Job could ever have possibly thought or done. And they tried to put it on display and they tried their best to squash Job and hurt him. And in all this, Job charged not God foolishly. Finally, in the closing chapters, we learn as God speaks. And Job is quiet before the Lord. And he says, Lord, I have not found an answer. I do not know. I know that you punish sin. I know that sin brings its judgment. But Lord, I'm not conscious of sin. And I want to say this, every time calamity comes, it does not come as a punitive judgment on your sin. Sometimes it comes to put you on display before the world so God can say, look, world, look at how my servant can behave and stand all the pressures that come when the world crumbles in on him. And God said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you entered into the treasuries of the snow? Have you entered into the treasures of the hail? Job, do you know where the foundations are? Do you know where light dwells? Do you know where darkness dwells? And on and on in chapter 38, those peerless questions that go deep into Job's mind and heart, reminding him of his own insignificance. And in the end, Job is brought to understand that for some 
calamities. There is no explanation. And so we learn from that not to think that we have the answer to every kind of calamity that comes and problem that comes and lots of times these things come and we examine our hearts and we try to think through Lord is it I Lord is it something that we did is it something I did sometimes God has to say my thoughts are not like your thoughts my ways are not like your ways and the closing chapter of Job's life God restored to him more than before now that's one illustration that's the illustration of a man where the world crumbled in all around him and it was no fault of his own sometimes the world crumbles in all around us and it is our fault in Matthew chapter 26 there's a dear man and he was a Christian put it down please remember that he was a Christian he loved God. He was the very first man to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He was the very first one to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus had said, Who do men say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now the dark time comes. And the Lord is about to go on trial. And the tide of opinion has turned against him. And they've led him to Caiaphas and to Pilate and the Bible says sinisterly Peter followed afar off oh friend see how close you can get to the heart of God don't get away from him don't see how far away you can walk but see how close you can walk right in step with him but Peter followed afar off and he went out there and stood warming his hands at the devil's fire. And somebody came along and said, you're one of the followers of the Nazarene prophet. Peter had been there a long time. He hadn't opened his mouth. He didn't know what to say. So he just said, no, I'm not. He was scared. He was afraid. He began to deny the Lord. Sometimes our lives Maybe not with our lips, but our lives deny the Lord, the Lord who died for us. Our very actions belie and deny the Lord of glory. After a while, somebody else came along and said, you're one of the followers of this Jesus. And Peter said, no, not I. I don't know the man. What else could he say? He had been quiet. They were all jesting and ugly and talking dirty about Jesus. And he had not said a word. And then somebody came along and said, you're one of the followers. You're one of his followers. He said, no, I'm not. Now a second one, no, I'm not. Thirdly, somebody comes and says, you're one of them. I saw you with him. You're one of them. And now, you know what Peter does? Listen, Peter's a Christian. He's God's man. He's later to become the great leader in God's church. Peter swore and cursed. And he said, I don't even know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. Why did he do that? He was in the wrong place. He was following the Lord afar off. 
And Peter's world began to crumble in all around him. You think Peter was happy? There's never been a more miserable man on this earth than Simon Peter in those dark hours when he betrayed the one he loved. You say, well, Peter didn't love the Lord. Oh, yes, he did. He loved him. He loved him with all of his heart. He said just a little while before this, I'd die for you, Lord. I'd die for you. But he was walking away from his Lord. Oh, my friend, don't walk away from Jesus. We have two natures in us, an old nature and a new nature, those who are saved. If you feed the old nature by carnal things, by the theater, by the lewd things of television, some television programs, by the trashy literature, by the dirty magazines, by listening to dirty jokes, by feeding yourself on the gutter things, by giving yourself to the sins of the flesh. You feed the old nature, it gets the upper hand, and the new nature has no power in your life. Be sure your sin will find you out. But if you feed the new nature, you feed it on Bible and prayer and soul winning and Christian fellowship, and confessing your sins day by day and staying close to Jesus, walking with him. The devil can't make that kind of inroad in your life. The Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was so sorry. His whole world crumbled in. And he didn't know what to do about it. What did those other disciples do? They sort of surrounded him. They got next to him. Peter said, I'm going fishing. You know what they said? We're going fishing too. We're going with you. That mean they were all going to go away from God? No. Thousand times no, it meant they were going to get in there and get around Peter and try to bring him back. And just a few days later, Jesus was out on the seashore fixing some breakfast. They came near and the disciples had been fishing. And Jesus said, Come and dine. And Peter looked up there. He said, That's the Lord, the resurrected Lord. And he cast himself back into the sea. He said, I'm a sinful man. I can't be around him. And it's as if the disciples put their arms around him and drew him back, brought him back. And together they went up to be with the Lord. The Lord didn't bawl him out. The Lord just said, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than thee? follow me. What do you do when the world crumbles? What do you do when everything crushes in? And you look into your heart and you try and try your best to find out if it's your fault and you find that it is no fault at all of yours. What do you do? Let down the anchor of your faith more deeply than ever before. Put your trust in the Lord and sing with that song writer it is well with my soul. What do you do 
when your world crumbles in all around you and you find out it is your fault. That you did have something to do with it. You go back to Jesus. You hear him. He says, come and die. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. And God is able. And when our little old worlds are crumbling and our houses burn, our children are taken in death, somebody very precious to us is gone. when everything seems to crumble in and when friends disappoint us and when we disappoint ourselves Lord teach us to lean on thee to trust thee and lean not into our own understanding but in all our ways acknowledge thee we thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has never lost its efficacy, its power to cleanse and save. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand, please. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. God's invitation, twofold this morning. First of all, if you're here without the Lord Jesus, You've never received him as your king, as your Lord. I plead with you to put your faith in him. There's no disappointment in Jesus. He's all that he said he would be. The blood of the Lord Jesus cleanses from all sin. Put your faith in Jesus. Come to him. Confess him as your Lord. Trust him as your Savior. And friend, if you've been saved, somehow your world has crumbled in either through no fault of your own or as you examine your heart you find there is some fault let down the anchor of your heart's faith again come to him and hear the master calling come and dine that doesn't mean just come and have a steak dinner come and get some chicken that means come to his word come to his Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit fill your life let the Word of God fill your life. Come and dine upon Him. While we sing, is there someone that should come today and make public a commitment to Jesus? If you've been saved but never made it public, you come. 
If you're not positive you're going to heaven, come today and confess the Lord. Ask him to save you. If we can help you, we want to here at the front. Do what God's Holy Spirit tells you. If you're a member of some other church and God wants you at Glendale, you come today while we pray, while we sing, will you come?